Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for even the dark passages. Thank you, Lord, that even in this dark, dark chapter, there is so much light. And I pray today we see it. And we not only sorrow over what took place, but rejoice over what took place. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you three thoughts from this chapter. It is one of the saddest chapters in all the Bible. It's also one of the most glorious chapters in all of the Bible. I want to tell you today about the fall. I want to tell you about the consequences of the fall. And then I also want to tell you about God's fix for it all. 
First of all, the fall. Verse number one, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, I am always amazed. I cannot help but be amazed every time I read this story to see that a snake spoke to Eve, and she answered it back. Now, I've mentioned before that my first wife abhorred snakes. I can only imagine the mayhem that would have ensued had one been hanging in a tree and spoken to her. Now, my current wife, Kathy, speaks to animals all the time. It would not have bothered her at all. But uh, Eve didn't seem surprised. She just talked right back to it. And, of course, everything was new. Everything was wonderful in the garden. There was no such thing as fear. There was no reason to fear. So I guess it's really not that hard to understand. But in any case, snake spoke to her. She spoke back. And this wasn't just any snake. This was Satan. Apparently taking the form of a serpent and speaking through the serpent. From this point on, the Bible refers to Satan as a serpent several more times, especially when we get to Revelation. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Revelation chapter 20, he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him. For a thousand years. So this is more than just a snake. And the snake did more than just speak. The snake spoke some very specific things. The, the snake uh, asked a question. He actually questioned something God had clearly stated earlier. And his question demonstrates a method Satan has used from that moment on up to today. He, he, to, to today, he used it on Eve. He uses it on everybody else. He wants to influence the turn against God. Uh, he uses it on me. And I'm sure he's used it on you. Has God indeed said? Or as the King James so poignantly puts it, yea, hath God said? He caused you to question something God had said. Any time that you are tempted to wonder about or question something God has said, doubt the clearly taught truth of God's word, or believe something or someone above God's plainly revealed truth, then you need to be listening for the hiss of a snake because he's there. And that's one of his primary, primary Methods. An example, I think, can be seen in the topic that we've been discussing the last few weeks. We've been talking about something a lot of people don't believe. God's creation of the world in six literal days. I know that some of you don't believe that. Oh, you'll sit there stone-faced and pretend like you're listening, and maybe even nod at crucial moments. Thank you. Thank you for the nod. Yeah. But I know some don't. I mean, uh, I probably, most people in this room do believe that, but I'm sure that there's some who do not. Because there's only one reason why you don't. It's because you have already decided in your heart that you're going to believe somebody or something else. The only other option that there is. You've decided that somebody or something has more credibility than God and God's word. God said he created the world in six literal days, and Satan came along and whispered to you, did he really say that? Yea, hath God said. Isn't it possible he meant something else? Isn't it possible he really meant to say six million years, not six days? Did he really say that? You see, this was and is one of the primary tools in Satan's tool chest. Get you to question what God had said. And that's what he did with Eve. Now, Eve knew what God had said. 
And she started right off on the right track by stating it back to Satan. Verses 2 and 3, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she knew what God had said. Of course, she changed it a little bit, didn't she, when she quoted it back. God didn't say anything about touching the tree. I, I, I see no prohibition there. They weren't to eat of it. So she changed what God had said just a, just a little bit. Maybe Eve thought God's instructions were open to human modification, as many do think. But they weren't then, and they aren't now. She had no authority or right to change God's word, and neither do we today. But she didn't know what he said. So Satan pushed ahead. He changed his tactics and he ramped up his game. He had succeeded a little bit in getting her to question God's word by tossing that question out to her to reinterpret God's word. And now he moved on to try to get her to deny it altogether. God had said, you shall surely die, Genesis 2.17. Now Satan said to Eve, you will not surely die, here in verse 4. It's an outright denial of God's word. And then from there he moved to twisting it and reinterpreting it and speaking in half-truths, telling her that she would be like God, knowing good and evil. That was, of course, at least partially true. But he said it in such a way that it seemed like a positive thing to her, even though in reality it was anything but. He had started with questioning God's word. He had progressed to denying and contradicting and twisting God's word. And Eve listened. She chose to listen to somebody other than God. She chose to ignore God's clear instruction in favor of this questioning, this denying, this twisting, this revision provided by the serpent. And so she ate. And then she gave it to Adam, who the Bible says was with her. I often read that phrase in verse number 6, her husband with her. And I wonder, was he standing right there? I think he was. I think he was standing right there. I think that's what that means, her husband with her. I think he was standing right beside her the whole time. So she handed it to him. And he ate also. Now notice that Eve ate after she had been deceived. Adam was not so deceived. He just plainly chose to eat. He saw what happened to Eve. He chose to knowingly disobey. And then the results of their disobedience were immediate. They were devastating. Verses 7 through 13 talks about them. Whereas they had no knowledge of sin prior, now they did. Yeah, they did now have knowledge of evil. They now suddenly recognized their nakedness. They attempted to cover it with fig leaves in verse number 7. Worse than that, they now knew fear. They'd never known that before. Such a thing didn't exist in the garden. Verse 10, they now knew fear. They feared God who had before been their father and their creator, with whom they had joined and enjoyed an easy and happy intimacy in the garden. Now they're afraid of him. Verse 10. And they immediately knew how to lie, didn't they? And to accuse. And to deny their own responsibility in sin. Adam, when confronted by God with what he had done, showed absolutely no repentance. He owned up to none of it. Had he been repentant, he would have said, yes, Lord, I sinned. Yes, I disobeyed. He would have been like David in Psalm 51, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. But instead, he blamed his wife. Instead, he actually indirectly blamed God for bringing her into his life. It's like he was saying, you did this to me, God. You gave me this woman. And look what she made me do. 
Interestingly, Eve did no better, blaming the snake in verse number 13. Now, notice that they tried to hide from God, but there's a thought here that we need to think about, and that is you, you can never hide from God. I think one of the most hilarious pictures in the Bible, and, and also the saddest at the same time, is the one that we see right here. Adam and Eve trying to hide from the creator of the universe behind a tree. Is that ridiculous or what? Spurgeon said about this, he said, however far we may get away from God, we will have to come close to him one of these days. Like the comet that flies far off from the sun, wandering into space for an altogether inconceivable distance, and yet has to come back again, however long the time its circuit takes. So we will have to come back to God, either willingly, repentantly, believingly, or else unwillingly and in chains, to receive our sentence of doom from the lips of the Almighty, whom we have provoked to anger by our sin. They could not hide. Well, the fall had consequences, didn't it? Verses 14 and 15, God first pronounced a curse upon the serpent. Satan was already fallen at this point, we believe, but the serpent, which had been his instrument, was cursed here to a crawling, slithering existence, loathed and at enmity with uh, the woman and her seed after her. It remains true, doesn't it? Is there a creature on the face of the earth that is more universally despised and hated than snakes? I'm not sure. I kind of hate spiders worse, but I think universally, I think snakes. The fall wrought consequences for the serpent who was its instrument. God then turned his attention to the woman in verse number 16, and he mentioned that there would be consequences for her. Actually, he mentioned two separate consequences that the, the fall would have on her and subsequently on all, woman, the first, on all women. The first one was childbirth. Childbirth would now be painful. They had been told to, uh, uh, to populate the earth before the fall. So childbirth was not the curse. Pain in childbirth was the curse. And my guess is if I were to poll the women in this particular congregation today who have experienced childbirth, that they would confirm that it's true. Childbirth is a difficult and painful thing, so much so that when a man complains of some terrible pain, it is not unusual for a woman to say, you guys, you men don't know nothing about pain. Try having a baby sometime. To which most men would say, you can, you can win that one. We don't want that one. It's not something to brag about anyway. It's something that was pronounced as a result of her sin. But God didn't stop there. He said something else. He said, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you, verse number 16. That phrase, your desire shall be for, it's only used a couple of places in your Bible. Here's what it means. It means you will desire to control, or you will desire to rule over. It's used one other place in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 7, when God spoke to Cain. God said to Cain, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Sin wants to control you, Cain, but you must rule over it. You will want to control your husband, Eve. You will want to rule over him, Eve, but he will rule over you. Here's a good explanation of, that I found. It's a little redundant with what I just said, but let me read it anyway because I think it explains it maybe better. Uh, of what that phrase, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you, means. 
These words from the Lord indicate that there will be an ongoing struggle between the woman and the man for leadership in the marriage relationship. The leadership role of the husband and the complementary relationship between husband and wife that were ordained by God before the fall have now been deeply damaged and distorted by sin. This especially takes the form of conflicting desire on the part of the wife and domineering rule on the part of the husband. The ongoing result of Adam and Eve's original sin of rebellion against God will have disastrous consequences for their relationship. Eve will have the sinful desire to oppose Adam and to assert leadership over him, reversing God's plan for Adam's leadership in marriage. And Adam will also abandon his God-given pre-fall role of leading, guarding, and caring for his wife, replacing this with his own sinful, distorted desire to rule over Eve. Thus, one of the most tragic results of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God is an ongoing damaging conflict between husband and wife in marriage, driven by the sinful behavior of both in rebellion against their respective God-given roles and responsibilities in marriage. You want to know where the Me Too movement started? Right there. This is where the never-ending battle between the sexes found its genesis. Here is where the harmony and the peace and the unity and the bliss that had marked that first marriage up until this point blew apart. You see, Eve would no longer be content to live alongside her husband in submission. She would now want to take his role, and he would no longer be content to lovingly lead alongside her. He would become authoritarian in his leadership. The fall broke. The man and woman relationship, it drove a wedge between the sexes that exist to this day. And if the events that we have been watching in the news over the last few weeks don't make you see that, I don't know what news you've been watching. And what you've been seeing. Well, finally, God turned to Adam, verse number 17. And he pronounced the consequences of sin, his sin upon him and all men to follow. Because you listen to your wife. God began. I don't think for a minute here that God was saying men ought not to listen to their wives. I don't think that's the truth at all. Or seek advice from and counsel from their wives. No, here's what I believe God meant. God meant because you listen to someone other than me. It's the same thing Eve did. Because you listen to someone other than me. You will now struggle to provide the ground which was paradise before will now fight you. Only through toil and labor will it produce for you, and it will eventually welcome you back, for you will die, Adam. You will return to the dust from whence you came. Well, having now discussed the fall and the consequences of it, let's notice one more thing, because there's light to this chapter. Let's notice the fix. You see, in spite of their sin and in spite of the fact that God could have just done away with them and started over, he instead promised a solution. That's in verse 15. You ought to circle verse 15. Thousands of years later, based on verse number 15 and other verses like it in the Bible, a fellow by the name of Keith Green would write this beautiful Christian song. We've sung it so many times. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One, Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names. Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, all for sinners slain. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Verse number 15. That verse has been called the first glimmer of the gospel. It has been called the proto-evangelium or first gospel because it is the first mention in the Bible of a promised redeemer. The first prophecy of a savior. The savior. The messiah. And the significance of what was said there, what God said in that verse, was not lost on Adam. He understood it that way. I think he understood it perfectly that way. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, verse number 20. The the, the name Eve means life giver. And I think the fact that Adam named her this indicates he understood the promise of the Redeemer that the fix for the disaster he had brought upon the world would come through her offspring. Adam understood God's promise, believed God's promise, and immediately began looking forward to the promised Redeemer. And now when they had first eaten the fruit, and before God had confronted them about it, they had tried to hide. We saw that a minute ago. And they had tried to do something else, too. They had tried to cover up their nakedness with fig leaves, sewing sewing them together. Don't you think it's interesting they could sew in the Garden of Eden? Sew the fig leaves together. The fig leaves could not cover up what they had done. Sin, then and now, had to be atoned for. It had to be paid for. And as God had told them in Genesis 2.17, he already told them the price. The price was death. Their death. I oftentimes read that, and I, I think it must have been doubtful that they understood really what that meant. They, they'd never seen death. There was no death. It didn't exist until this point. But now, now as... They watched God take the life of at least two animals. Verse 21 says skins, plural. That would indicate that at least two were killed. would make sense. One for Adam, one for Eve. As they watched that, they had to be confronted with the full horror of the whole thing. Death. No fig leaves would cover it. Only blood could cover it. And so because God loved Adam and Eve, he provided a substitute. Took the life of an animal and clothed them with their bloody skins. That substitute idea is repeated throughout the Bible. It's seen over and over. It's, 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 it's crucial for our understanding why Jesus had to die on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter 3.18 Christ also suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. First John chapter 2, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He is the satisfaction, the atonement. First Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we having died to sins might live. For righteousness by whose stripes you were. God promised a redeemer. Verse 15. And then he graphically demonstrated what that redemption would cost. 
by wrapping the bloody skins of two innocent substitutes around Adam and Eve's bodies. So they fell, and the consequences of that fall were terrible, and the consequences of that fall last right up until this day. We labor and suffer under the same curse that was pronounced there in that garden. As a matter of fact, Paul described the fact that all creation groans under that curse to this day. But God did not leave them in that state. His love would not allow it. His grace would not allow it. There are at least three wonderful indications in this passage of the grace of God. I mean, think about it. First, he did promise a redeemer in verse number 15. And second, it was a promise that Adam understood and began looking forward to. He also provided a substitute to atone for their sin in verse 21. And then, after all that, he drove them out of the garden. And I suggest that also is an act of grace. He drove them out of the garden because he was protecting them from eating that, from that tree of life, which was in the middle of the garden, and living forever in that state of sin and death. I don't know what that tree, how that tree worked there. I don't know a whole lot about it. There's not a whole lot said about it. I know that when we get to the end of the book, we find it once again mentioned in the middle of the New Jerusalem, Revelation chapter 22. And in both cases, we know that the tree is described as actually prolonging life. And so here we see God did not want Adam and Eve to eat of that tree now. So he threw them out of the garden to keep them away from it. It wasn't God didn't want them to live forever. He had created them to live forever. And now he had promised them a redeemer so that one day they could once again live forever. But he didn't want them to live forever that way. Not in sin. That expulsion from the garden was mercy. It was grace. From time to time, people ask the question, how, how were people saved in the Old Testament? I think Genesis chapter 3 might be the first illustration of it. Right after the first sin came the first promise of a Redeemer, and Adam believed it. And Adam looked forward to it. I heard a, a preacher just this past week, I was listening to a sermon. I do that from time to time. I don't just make you listen to him. I, I listen to him from time to time, too. And I heard a preacher say that the uh, Old Testament saints were saved on credit. And I thought, that's a good illustration. I thought about the fact that in my wallet I have two cards. I have one that's a credit card. And it allows me to purchase based upon a promise to pay in the future. And I have a debit card, which allows me to purchase drawing on funds that already have been paid. The Old Testament saints, and, and, and Adam is here, here's an example, believe based on the promise of a future payment. We today are saved because we can look back and see the finished work of Christ on Calvary, but in both cases, the salvation is by faith, by faith in the Redeemer. Adam believed in a future Redeemer. He believed enough to name his wife Eve, life giver, because God had promised one day one of her descendants would bruise the head of Satan and redeem fallen mankind. Fast forward to the story of Abraham. You remember Abraham one day climbing up Mount Moriah. His son Isaac alongside of him. Now they were going to offer a sacrifice to God. Isaac was a little bit confused. And he looked at his father and he said, Father, I see here wood and I see here fire. But I don't see lamb for the sacrifice. And Abraham said, Son, God will provide himself a lamb. Abraham believed in a future Redeemer, who would bruise the head of Satan and redeem fallen mankind. 
Fast forward a little bit further to John the Baptist baptizing in the Jordan River. Scores of people pouring in from all around the countryside to be baptized by him in the Jordan. And suddenly he looks up and he sees Jesus walking toward him. Behold, he said, pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist believed in a future Redeemer who would bruise the head of Satan and redeem fallen mankind. And he knew that he was looking at that Redeemer when he saw Jesus walking toward him. Fast forward one more time to Calvary, to Golgotha, to the place of the skull. See that same Jesus hanging there on a cross, enveloped in blood, breathing his last and shouting with his final breath, it is finished. Jesus was that Redeemer who with his death on the cross bruised the head of Satan and redeemed fallen mankind. And then three days later, he rose from the dead making an end of death forever and offering eternal life to all who would believe. Adam looked forward to that Redeemer and believed. So too did Abraham. So too did John the Baptist. We now look back to the cross and the death of the believer thereon, and we still must believe. They had to believe. We have to believe. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved and your household. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes. Under righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Oh, my friend, have you believed? Have you believed? The fall of Adam and Eve affected us all, and that includes you. You can't hide from it any more than anybody else. We now inherit the sin nature that they brought upon us all, and we all sin. All of us are now sinners. And just as their sin demanded death, so too does ours. So too does yours. But there is a Redeemer. Hallelujah. There is a Redeemer. And all we need to do is believe on Him. Trust Him. Look to Him. Redemption. A wonderful story. Glad message for you and for me. That Jesus has purchased our pardon and paid all the debt on the tree. From death unto life he has brought us and made us by grace sons of God. A fountain is opened for sinners. O wash and be cleansed in the blood. No longer shall sin have dominion, though present to tempt and annoy. For Christ in his blessed redemption the power of sin shall destroy. Accept now God's offer of mercy to Jesus. O hasten today, for he will receive him that cometh and never will turn him away. Believe it. O sinner, believe it. Receive the glad message. Tis true. Trust now in the crucified Savior. Salvation he offers to you. Father God, thank you for the, the wonderful chapter 3 in our Bible of the book of Genesis. Lord, we're saddened as we read about our first parents' first sin. We're also saddened to have to admit to ourselves that had we been in their place, we would have done exactly the same thing. Uh, We are no better than they. We inherited their sin nature. And we sin in and of ourselves as well. 
We're sorry about that part of the story, but Lord, we're so, so, so thankful for the glorious truth of the Redeemer that was first promised there and then developed throughout your Bible until we see Jesus on the cross of Calvary uh, being that Redeemer. And oh, Father, I pray that if there's even one here today who does not yet know that Jesus, that Redeemer, may they today help us, Father, to really get a glimpse of what Jesus did there. Help us, Father, to get a glimpse of the grand and glorious plan of redemption that started there in Genesis and works its way all the way through Scripture and offers to each of us eternal life if we will but accept it. Is there one here today, Lord? Is there even one who does not trust Jesus, who's never believed, who's never come to this place where they they recognize how desperately they need him? What a, what a horrible situation they are in if they don't trust Christ, that they are on their way to hell and they will they will bust it wide open if they do not trust Jesus. Is there even one? If so, I pray today they'd be saved. I pray that nothing would stop them. I pray as we sing they'd step out, make their way to the front, let somebody share with them from the Bible. If they don't have the courage to do that, I pray they'd do it right where they stand and uh, just trust you. But Lord, let nobody leave this place lost. Let them as Adam believe on the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, God's Son. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.